I don't know if it's just me, but whenever we sing songs about the, the mercy of God, being new, being vast, being of endless supply, my heart is moved, uh, where, where sin runs deep, His grace is more, every morning new mercies we see. Uh, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. And I don't know if it's just because I understand how deep sin runs in me, but I'm so thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us from all sin. All sin past, present, and future. And so today we come as believers in Jesus and we celebrate the good news that, that Jesus has made us alive. And that should bring joy. We talked about last week how, how we shouldn't let things in this life steal our joy, but sometimes they seem to, to work against us, don't they? If I, if I were to ask you today, what would make you really happy? If, if, if I just said, okay, here's a blank sheet of paper, write a few things on this sheet of paper that would make you really happy... What would it take? Now, may, maybe you're that person who has everything you want. You're completely satisfied with where you are, and that is awesome. I'd love to bring you up on stage and say, this is awesome. But for the 95% of us who, who aren't completely there, what would it take to make you really happy? A new what? New car? New New truck? Uh, new, new home, new job. What, what would it take? How, how many days off would you need to be really happy? Would you need another week or another two weeks every Wednesday? You know, what would it take to make you really happy? What, what would you have to change? You know, if this were different or if that were different, if I could just make this much money, if my husband would just, if I could just get through this test, if my sermons were just done, if his sermon was done, you know, what would it take? You know, what, what, what would it take? Would it take a, a, a new boat, a new dress, a new TV, a new job, a new what? What would it take? Today we're going to continue the series that I've entitled, I Want to Be. And we're talking about things that, that as a Christian, I simply want to characterize my life. These are things that I want to be known for. And one of those things that I want to be known for is, I, I would like to be known as a person who's content. Where I get to a place where I'm, I'm really content with life. Now, when we talk about contentment, we're talking about several things. But when I'm talking about contentment this morning, I'm talking about first and foremost just being satisfied. Satisfied with what God has given you. Satisfied to the place you are in life. Satisfied that, 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 that you have enough. I'm also talking about being grateful. Not only satisfied with what you have, but, but really grateful for, for, for what God has, has given you. Uh, I'm also talking about being at peace. If you're content, everything's okay. Now, if that's the definition of what it means to be content, I know 95% is probably too low for those of us who struggle sometimes. Um, I ask people this week, who do you know? Who, who do you know who, 
who's content? And I got a few responses uh, this week, but but I just got a few. My guess is you could count on one hand the number of people in your life who are really content. I mean, who do you know who who's who's really content? Oh, the reason. You don't know many people. It's because we live in a world that breeds discontent, don't we? I mean, we're bombarded with messages. To be happy, you need more things. And to be happy, you need less wrinkles. And to be happy, you, you need better vacations. And to be happy, you need to have fewer troubles. And if we're honest, most of us here struggle with being content. We try to be happy with what we have. We wish we weren't jealous of others. We want to be content. But, man, it always seems so slippery, doesn't it? I can easily get discouraged and think, man, I'll just never be satisfied in my life. Well, the good news today is contentment's not out of your reach. You can become a part of the 5%. You can. Uh, And today we're going to look at the clearest passage of Scripture that talks about how we can find contentment in our life. We're going to turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Last week we started a series through Philippians chapter 4, but I didn't really set the context. Uh, The book of Philippians, Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. It's written while he was in prison, and he's writing a letter to a church that he loved. I mean, loved. He loved them for several reasons. Number one, they were a growing church, and that always makes a pastor happy. Uh, Number two, they just had a sweet spirit. Have you ever been in a church where it just felt right? You know, you went in there, and the people just seemed to really love the Lord, and they didn't seem to be selfish, and they seemed to be thinking about other people instead of themselves. Uh, the church at Philippi, I think, was one of those type of churches. And, and man, they had faith, incredible faith. But another reason that I think Paul was really grateful for this church is they were a financial partner in his mission work. They'd given to him... Uh, several times as he traveled, they, they, they sent help to him. Even while he was in jail, they sent people to help him out. And, and, and apparently, if you read Philippians, there's been some time since the last check came in. You know, Paul depended on the gifts of the churches to take care of him, and, and there, had been, there had been a lapse in their, in their support. Now, we're going to look at the passage next week tells us it wasn't that, that they that they quit loving Paul, they just lacked opportunity to help him, but they, they'd quit, quit helping him for some time. But now they've renewed their support. And Paul's responding to them. In verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that, that once again you renewed your care for me. Man, I'm so thankful to, to know that you still love me and you're still supporting me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but you lacked opportunity to show it. Paul's extremely grateful, and it's always grateful for when somebody thinks of you. You know, you see somebody that you haven't seen for a long time, and they say, I was just thinking of you. It's nice to hear that, but you know what's even better? When you get a letter from them in the mail that you didn't expect, or, and maybe even better is when they, they sacrifice for you. You know they don't have much, but they, they sent you a gift card, or they just said, hey, I want you to, to take this. Somebody gave this to me, and I thought it'd be better for you. Man, you that is appreciated, and Paul was really grateful for this church, so much so that he rejoiced. We're all grateful for for people like this in our life, and he expresses his gratitude, but he wants them to know, look, I'm grateful but you're not the reason I have joy. 
I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for your partnership. I'm thankful for the gifts that you've supported me with. But I want you to know my joy is not in your gift, and it's not in even you. My joy is in the Lord. You see, Paul knows that God will take care of him regardless of what comes his way. He didn't want anyone to think that God would let him down. And so listen to what he says in these next few verses. Three of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament right here. Listen to what he says. I I don't say this out of need. Look, I'm thankful for what you've done, but I don't say it out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I, I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. He has learned how to be content. And these awesome verses, we learn some things about how we too can be content. And we're going to learn a lot about what contentment really is and what it's not. The first thing I want you to learn from this passage today, and you got to get this. If you don't get this, you're never going to have contentment in your life. But you need to understand, you can be content regardless of what you go through. Contentment is not circumstantial. Contentment is internal. Notice what he says in verse 11. I don't say this out of need. I've learned to be content in whatever. That's pretty broad, isn't it? Last I checked, whatever is all-encompassing. Whatever the circumstances, I've learned to be content. You know, a lot of us, we struggle. I struggle sometimes. My contentment is often based on my, on my day. When things go well, I'm happy. When, when, when the, you know, the, the weather is right, Man, that's good. When my health is good, when the baby's sleeping, when the light's green and I'm in a hurry, it's so easy for me to be content. But when it's not going well, it's hard to imagine even feeling content in those moments. But Paul says you can be content. And and, and let's just be honest. I know there's people who peddle religious smut and say that if you trust Jesus, everything always works out. But Jesus said, it rains on the the just and the unjust. Life is, is hard on everybody in this world. We live in bondage to decay, and this is a tough world we live in. I mean, that's, that's just where we are. And if your contentment is based on how your day goes, it's going to be fleeting at best. Typically gone. So it can't be just based on our circumstances. I mean, if contentment is based on, on what we're facing, I mean, it's going to be like, you know, a $20 bill in the hands of a teenager. You know, it's here today, gone today. You don't have teenagers, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's just never going to be found. But real contentment has nothing to do with circumstances. Paul speaks of a contentment that transcends what's going on. If it's sunshining, I'm content. If it's a wintry mix, I'm content. If my health is good, I'm content. If I get a bad report, I'm content. If my team's losing, they didn't have that type of athletics when Paul was talking. But (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. Our contentment's far beyond sports teams. Our contentment is, is internal. 
And wouldn't you love to have that? I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't you love to be one of those people that people look at and say, man, I tell you what, I don't know a a lot of people who are content, but that Nick Sanford, he is a content dude. I'd love for people to say that about me. How could I get there to have contentment that nobody can take away? I've got to learn to be content in whatever circumstances I face. Verse 12. I know how to have a little. I know how to have a lot. In in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. In this verse, verse 12, Paul uses three word contrasts. And he uses these to show his joy and his his satisfaction. Uh, And he uses it to show that his joy and his satisfaction is not dependent on what he has. Now, if you were to read this in the Greek... These three, well-fed, hungry, abundance, or need, little or a lot, all have to do with food. All three of them in the Greek, they, 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 they're typically used for, for food. And basically, Paul says, whether my plate's full or the cupboard's empty, I'm all right. Now, this is almost impossible for us to grasp. Because my guess is, There's nobody in here who's really gone hungry, ever. Maybe one or two, but most of us have no clue what it means to be really hungry. You know, we we wonder how much we're going to have between the holidays and how we're going to lose the weight we gained. But I don't know very many people who wonder, are they going to be able to eat? It's been since 2002 when I was in Africa that I saw a person who would have really understood this verse. We would cross a ferry every day across the Niger River. We would go from the capital city of Niamey into a village called Gote to do Bible school. And there was a barge that would take people across the river. We were usually the only vehicle on the barge. It was usually just people walking. And almost everyone carried a wooden bowl that had been carved out. Handmade bowl. And they were all carrying their bowl. And me being ignorant, not understanding how impoverished some people in the world are, I asked our missionary, I said, what in the world are they doing all carrying their bowl? Are they worried that somebody else's bowl is not going to be clean? You've got to understand, I was just 32 at the time. I had been pretty sheltered in western Kentucky. But he looked at me with a shocked look and said, they're wondering where they're going to eat tonight, Nick. And just in case they run into someone who has more, they want to make sure they're ready. Paul had been in those situations where where he didn't have anything. And he says, says, "I, I have been there. I've learned to be fine with bread and water or thanksgiving. But my contentment is not based on that. But I want you to understand the impact of this verse should not be be limited to to food. I I think he's teaching us here, contentment is not dependent upon material possessions. You can be content if you have very little, or you can be content if you have a lot. If you have a new car or a beater, a big house or no house, you can be content. 
Have you ever met that person who seems to be waiting for the next thing to make them happy? Have you met them? You know? You get a boat, they need a boat. You get a new car, they need a new car. You get new golf clubs, they get new golf clubs. You know, something's new, they need that new whatever. They got a bad case of the guy that has because, because, because what they have just doesn't satisfy. But then they get it. Have you ever noticed how it doesn't satisfy? Stuff's never brought contentment. Now I want to give a disclaimer to what I'm about to say because I know in a crowd this size somebody will not hear me. I do not advise gambling. Okay? I always advise against gambling. Uh, the Bible teaches against ill-gotten gain, and we shouldn't look for luck to, to, to earn our income. We should work hard. With that said, uh, a few weeks ago the lottery got everybody's attention, didn't it? In my mind, it's a shame that our government fleeces our population to pay for education. Lottery keeps getting bigger and bigger, and teachers say they don't have enough. But that's another story. But a few weeks ago, the Powerball was a billion dollars. I mean, even preachers were talking about what they would do with that money. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of money. That week, I read a magazine article that the title caught my attention. It said, you better pray you don't win the lottery. So I, I wanted to read what they had to say. And it, it talked about, in, in most states, the winner has to be identified. So then everybody knows you have it. And then you're susceptible to... to, to threat. You're a target for high crime. You get lots of new relatives. You know, all, all the people that they had talked about who had won the mega millions were living life of misery. They couldn't even enjoy what they used to enjoy before they had won. How come? Stuff never satisfies. How many stories have you heard of people who have lots and yet they're not happy? I mean, the Bible even tells us as much. Remember one day Jesus is walking down the road and, and a, a young man comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, tell me what I must do to have eternal life. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? You know the commandments. Honor your father and mother. Don't defraud anyone. You know, don't commit adultery. You know the commandments. And the guy says, I've done all that stuff. And here's a guy who has money, who has youth, who has a position, and he's miserable. And Jesus says, I'll tell you how you can, you know, ha have what you're looking for. Go sell what you have and come follow me. You know the story. Man couldn't let go of what he had and he went away miserable. Because money has never made anyone content. Paul says as much. He says, I, I don't say this out of need, for I, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Again, to have a little or not, well-fed, hungry, I have learned. And so that's the third lesson I want you to get today. Every Christian can learn to be content. Now, two things are implied by that phrase, I have learned. 
Number one, it's attainable. You, you might not be a part of the 95%, but that does not mean you're predestined to be dissatisfied. You can be content. You should be content. Number two, it's implied if you have to learn to be content, you're not born with it. Contentment is not something that is just a part of your DNA. If you have to learn it, you don't have it. You know, you're not born knowing how to read, but you have to learn it. You're not born understanding math, you have to learn it. You're not born hating Tennessee, you just have to learn it. Right? I mean, you just have to learn these things. And so the key, qu- and sorry to the two of y'all, but anyhow, the, we're still working on you. The, the key question then, how, how do you learn it? And here's where we disagree. A lot of people, even people in this room, would disagree. How do you learn contentment? Some people would say you learn contentment through experience. They see people who aren't content and they say, they just need to go through some hard times. They need to try an empty cupboard for a while. They'll be satisfied with what they have, not necessarily. If this were the case, everyone raised in poverty would be content. And they'd never try to get out, but I'll be honest, I don't see a lot of rich people standing in line for lottery tickets. Poor people are discontent and they want out. Some people might suggest if a person just had some more, if we just redistributed the wealth a little better, people would all then be content. But we all know that people can be raised with lots of things and not be satisfied. Someone will have more and they get caught up comparing how they measure up to to another person's status and they're still miserable. See, I, I, I hope you agree with me here because I really believe I'm right. Experience, no matter what the experience is, does not teach contentment. Some people would say, well, you just need to educate people. It's not experience. That's not how you become content. It's education. That's where contentment is is developed. You know, tell people how good they have it. Tell them that the grass is not greener. And you should teach your kids that you have it good and the grass is not greener. And and new parents, I'd love to say to you, teach your kids to be content and and they'll get it. But I, I want you to understand, contentment's not something you can force into your kids' makeup. You can teach them manners. They'll say yes, sir, no, sir. You can take stuff away until they appreciate what they have, but you can't teach the sinful heart. You can't make them joyful, and you can't make them content. So how then is contentment found? How does a person learn it? The simple answer is you learn contentment through a personal relationship with Jesus. Augustine said that every heart is restless until it finds rest in God. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And we'll never find contentment without Christ. And today, if you've never given your life to Christ, in about 10 minutes or 5 minutes, we're going to have a time of commitment. And we're going to give you the opportunity to commit your life to Christ and surrender your life to Him and trust that that He can fill the void in your life that nothing else has been able to fill. Maybe you're here and you're like, Preacher, I hear you tell people to come down forward every, uh, every week and I just can't walk forward in front of people. Then catch me after service. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ because he, he can fill your heart. 
and again give you contentment. You'll never be content until Jesus is the center of your life. And this is where contentment begins. But you and I both know that those of us who are Christians, the struggle with contentment doesn't end with walking the aisle. Am I the only one that's that's the experience? You see, the key to contentment is not just having a relationship with Jesus. The key to contentment is living for Jesus. Live for Jesus instead of for yourself. This is the real real key to contentment. This was Paul's key to contentment. Paul wasn't living for Paul. Listen to what it says in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. I'm living for him. To die is gain, but I'm living for, for Christ. He realized his life was designed to reflect God's glory. So when he had a bad day and little resources, or he was dealing with frustrating people, he didn't shake his fist and say, God, what are you doing to me? No. He said, God, use this for your glory. Last week, one of our members, who's probably listening online right now, went to Florida waiting on a heart transplant. No idea how long they'll be there. We're praying for them. But I'll never forget what she told me last week before she left. She said, I'm praying God will give me opportunities while I'm down there to share his love with the people around me. That's different, isn't it? It's not, oh God, why are you doing this to me? Oh God, where are you? It is God, let me use what I have gone through for your glory. She's learned the secret. Or whether you're having a great day and everything's easy and people are accommodating, it's good for us to say, thank you God, I love this day, it is beautiful, but God... I pray this day's for your glory and not just for mine. Second Corinthians says, I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and pressure because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We, we, no matter what we go through, God, I thank you that, that in the midst of my weakness, you can show off, God. And so, God, I will praise you in whatever I go through because I'm living for you and not for me. How did he do this? How did he find strength to be satisfied in Jesus? Well, the very next verse. Y'all know this one. I'm able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Uh, Evander Holyfield. Some of y'all remember Evander Holyfield. If you don't remember Evander Holyfield, his son played for Georgia last week and ran all over us. But... uh, His dad was a professional boxer. And uh, on the back of his robe, he was a believer, and on the back of his robe, he always had, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he'd go in and pulverize Mike Tyson. But he wore that same robe whenever Lennox Lewis just beat him to a bloody pulp. You see, this verse is not a guarantee that you can do everything you want to do. You know, maybe you use this verse for test in class when you didn't study. I can do all things through Christ. This is not, I can do anything. 
It is not Christ strengthened me in my bad or selfish or neglecting sinful state. But it is, Christ, I'm living for you, not for me. Remember me telling you, I asked some friends this week, who do you know? We were talking at, uh, while we were camping this week, and I asked some friends, I said, who do you know who's really content? I got about six responses out of five guys. One of them was a person who had absolutely nothing. Nothing. A a couple were people who had been through really hard stuff. Some were young and some were old. One was a missionary, one was a wife of an alcoholic. But the common denominator of all, all six of these people was they really loved Jesus. As I thought about their responses, I came to this conclusion. Contentment is often a believer's most powerful testimony. We need to live lives that demand an explanation. Man, you're in the worst marriage I've ever seen, and yet you seem to have joy. Your company is closing. They're taking your job. You should be stressed out and panicked, but you're not. You could afford to live way beyond what you do, but you don't. Why? You're so generous with what God has given you. How come? People should be asking us, what makes you different? They do the 95% or the 5%. What what makes you different? Do they ask you? Let me give you some takeaways today and we'll go home. Number one, contentment has nothing to do with your circumstances. If you're waiting for the next thing to make you happy, you're going to wait a long time. Let that pipe dream go. Number two, I encourage you to go home today and make a list of everything that you have that can't be taken away from you. And be honest. What do you have that cannot be taken away from you? And then live for that. Number three. I just ask everyone here to acknowledge you'll never be content apart from Jesus. It's just just not going to happen. It hadn't happened for you yet. It's not going to happen. And number four, quit looking at what you have not been given and start giving thanks for what you have. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word today. I pray, Father, as we have tried to faithfully go through the text, Lord, that your, that your truth has spoken to hearts. God, I know we live in one of the most affluent places in our state. 
And we have a lot of people who have so much. And yet, God, I see so many discontent people all the time. God, I pray that you would help us to find our satisfaction and our joy in Jesus. And it's in his name I pray.